the stillness. Come meet us. Amen. So I wonder what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about prayer? Is it maybe a prayer that you learned many years ago, either when you were a child or maybe when you first began the journey as a Christian? Is it uh, prayers that we say here in worship, maybe corporate prayers like the Lord's Prayer that we do each and every week? Or maybe it's something like lighting the candles as part of our chum tradition of prayer that we come forward and to, to, to light that flame as a symbol of our prayer and as a way to pray. You know, there are so many different ways to pray, and we're in this series right now where we're looking at different ways of prayer. And last week we talked about using our bodies in prayer. This week we're talking about praying in color, and then we'll look at our breath and beads and not on the final Sunday of this series. But you know, um, even though we may cognitively know that there are many ways to pray, sometimes we kind of get stuck in a little bit of a rut. Or maybe we also even get into this um, kind of subtle, subtle attitude that we think there's only a few right ways to pray. And so Sybil Macbeth writes a book called Praying in Color, and in it she says that praying in color might be for you if, if you can't sit still long enough to get past the Our Father or Hello God step, if you promise to pray for others and then you forget who they are, if you start to pray and then realizing you're thinking about the bills. How many of us have done that, right? Or praying in color might be for you if your spirit and body reach a place of calm and stillness in prayer and then you fall asleep. Or if you want to act the like, if you want to like the act of praying, but is more often obligation and drudgery than joy. You know, you, you may or may not see yourself in those examples. And to be honest, praying in color may or may not be for you, but I want you to be open to, to this new experience today. Because Catholic priest and theologian Dom John Chapman says, pray as you can, not as you cannot. And this invites us into finding the way in which we can pray given who we are uniquely created to be, rather than to try to fit ourselves into somebody else's box or definition of what prayer is. So this concept of using shapes and colors in prayer and meditation, it's not limited to Christianity, but it's certainly part of our Christian tradition. But we're going to start looking at this a little bit broadly, and then we're going to narrow the focus to our Christian tradition. So as you heard in the reading um, today from Cindy, who's serving as our liturgist, the mandala is something that is used in both Hinduism and Buddhism. And here's one example of a mandala. But its specific uh, meaning is distinct in each religion. And it can even vary depending on the branch of each religion where it is used. Because just as we, as the Christian church, have many, many branches, so do those other major world religions. So mandala literally means circle, so you'll always see them in this round pattern, but it's more than a simple geometric shape. It repre represents wholeness, and it's a model for the organization of life itself, and so in some ways it's to represent the universe. And I think this is kind of amazing when you think about how many circles do we see just in the natural order of the world, right? We see the earth is a circle, 
We, the plan, all, all of the planets, really, are circles, right? The sun is a circle, the moon is a circle. But then I started thinking about, you know, our eyes, the pupil and the iris, it's a circle. And think about how we, we look at that in the lives of people around us all the time. But we can also think concept, conceptual circles. We think about circles in our family or our network circles professionally, um, circles maybe even in the church. And then my daughter um, has this uh, little thing called a fidget spinner. If you have a child in your life, you're probably familiar with these. They're really popular these days with kids. So this one has colors on it. This one, the third one is not quite working anymore. But if you spin it, it's a circle. Right? You see that? I'll spin it over here for you guys. There's circles all around. So mandalas are full of color. And in Tibetan Buddhism, they are used as a tool for meditation. And so the person focuses on the image of mandalas so much that they memorize it, they internalize it. And then they can bring it back into their mind at any moment. That's, to me, that's an interesting connection with fidget spinners because these are often used to help kids focus and pay attention. And you, when you stare at this long enough, you do become mesmerized by the spirals of colors. So mandalas, uh, the concept of a mandala has made an appearance in many different religious traditions. So in the Americas, Native Americans created uh, medicine wheels, this circular uh, shape but also sand mandalas, which I don't have a picture of. But then also the circular Aztec calendar was both a timekeeping device and a religious expression of the ancient Aztecs. And then in Asia, we have the Taoist yin and yang symbol, which represents opposition as well as interdependence. And the mandala concept has even been used in Christianity from very early times. So, there is this circular seal. This is known as the seal of God. And this is believed to have originated in the late 13th century or maybe the early 14th century. It is attributed to Honorius, the son of Euclid. But John Dee, who was an alchemist, a mathematician, and, a, and an astrologer, he is the one who created a work, this work, that was actually preserved. And there's lots of other incarnations of this now, but he did that in 1582. So the seal of God, it shows this universal geometric order that incorporates not only God, but also the names of the archangels. And it was originally believed to have some kind of magical powers. So other examples of the concept of the mandala in the history of Christianity are things like Celtic crosses, which always have a circle around the four points of the cross. And then another one that I find really fascinating is rose windows. We don't have a rose window with all of our beautiful stained glass. We don't have a rose window, but this is, um, the rose window is always round. You've probably seen them in other churches. This is the exterior of the rose window at Strasbourg Cathedral. And then the next one will show you the interior. So they're always round, a circular pattern. And then this one, the architectural drawing, reminds me so much of um, the kind of mandala that you can color. But even prayer labyrinths have some similarities with mandalas. You know, we talked about uh, labyrinths last week, and hopefully many of you had a chance to either come in and pray using our prayer labyrinth in the fellowship hall, or using that finger labyrinth that was in your bulletin. 
But this is a prayer labyrinth in uh, Chris Cathedral, and it is thought to represent the journey from the outer room to the inner sacred center where the divine is found. And then there is a whole bunch of beautiful mandalas created by St. Hildegard von Bingen. She was a nun in the 12th century, and she uh, had these, these visions of God, and she called them illuminations. And in the illuminations, uh, she would hear God speaking to her, and she would see a vision, and then afterwards she would draw it. And then she would write what she had heard from God. And so this is the image of the person in sapphire blue. And I want to read to you St. Hildegard's own words about this illumination. But do you see the circle, the circular pattern of that? So this is what she says. She's describing this illumination. I saw a very bright light, and inside there was a person who was the color of sapphire. This person and bright light were completely surrounded by a very pleasant fire of reddish color. The very bright light completely surrounded this fire of reddish color, and at the same time, this fire completely surrounded the light. Both the fire and light surrounded the person, existing as one light with one force of potentiality. And then I heard the living light speak to me. It said, the bright light signifies who God is, without any blemish of illusion, defect, and falsehood. The person signifies the word, with a capital W, who is without blemish of hard-heartedness, ill will, or unfairness. The fire signifies the Holy Spirit, who is, a, who is without blemish of dryness, death, and darkness. This is an image of the Trinity. The second illumination, she has a whole bunch, but I just picked two to share with you, is called the egg of the universe. So this one also has these circular patterns in it. And according to Matthew Fox, in his book, Illuminations of Hildegard of St. Benjen, uh, which you're welcome to, to find his book if you want to read more about these, um, St. Hildegard also writes about this image. And this is what she says to explain um, the egg of the universe. By the supreme instrument in the figure of an egg, which is the universe, invisible and eternal things are manifested. God has arranged all things in the world in consideration of everything else. And then she goes on to write, O Holy Spirit, you are the mighty way in which everything that is connected in the heavens, on earth, and under the earth is penetrated by connectedness, penetrated with relatedness. And so to bring circular patterns into our life of prayer and to bring color into our life of prayer, these are not new concepts. I think in some ways they may be lost concepts. And yet it is, a lost con it is this lost concept that helps us to do exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing in Colossians 1. And so I want to take a look a little bit at that scripture, because in that scripture, he is remembering in his prayers people whose lives are intertwined with his own. Now, Paul does this a lot in his letters. Almost always in Paul's letters, you will see at the beginning this section of salutations and greetings to particular people who are partners and ministers with him in the faith. And then again, at the end of the letter, you will often see that same kind of reach out to greet so-and-so who is our brother in the gospel or our sister in the gospel. 
But in Colossians, it is no different. And not only is Paul writing this letter, but he is co-authoring it with Timothy, right? Who worked alongside him in missionary endeavors. And they are writing to the saints and the faithful brothers and sisters in the church of Colossae. And so they start out by telling the people, we always remember you in our prayers. And not only do we remember you, but we thank God for you. We thank God for your faith, for your work in the gospel, for the way it is bearing fruit in the world and within your own souls. And then Paul and Timothy go on to write about the work of a specific individual, right? Epaphras, who is also a minister of Christ. And then they are, they are audacious enough to say that they have stopped, not stopped praying for the people in the church in Colossae. That daily they are asking for the people in the church to be filled with knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Now I would venture to guess that, that you, like me, though you are not a pastor, have had people sometimes ask you to pray for them. I would venture to guess that that has happened for you. And the question then comes, right, are we guilty of doing what Sybil Macbeth wrote about, saying, of course I'll pray for you, and then forgetting who it was or what the situation was, or even just forgetting to actually pray? Or are we also sometimes consumed instead by gossip and worry? rather than actually pray. You know, you all have probably been in the situation like me when, when someone asks everyone to share joys and concerns and then it turns into kind of like a little gossip session about all the things that are wrong in all these other people's lives. Have you been there? I've been there. I've been there. Or as soon as we see someone's name on the prayer list, we start asking around wondering what in the world is going on with that person. And we spend more time making our phone calls to investigate what the source of the problem is rather than actually praying for the person and their life and their situation. You know, worry, I think, interferes with prayer for others in a different kind of way. Because worry can consume our prayer time to the point that we, we just sit with worry rather than sitting with God and actually praying. And Sybil Macbeth writes about this book in uh, this concept of worry in her book, Praying in Color. She says, worry is not a substitute for prayer. Worry is a starting place, but not a staying place. Worry invites me into prayer. But as a staying place, worry can be self-indulgent, paralyzing, draining, and controlling. When I take worry into prayer, it doesn't disappear, but it does become smaller. And then she goes on, I think, in a way, to address this, uh, this temptation toward gossip and prayer. She says, when I ask people to pray for me, I hope they will do the same. I don't want them to worry about the details of my request, obsessing about my sorrow, tisking about my wayward children, peeping through the keyhole of my confessions, Fantasizing about my diagnosis and prognosis or writing my obituary is not their task. And then it goes on the next slide. Their task is to fill the universe with good thoughts, to wrap me in God's love, to give me hope, and to intercede for my healing. I want them to reconnect my hands and heart with God. 
when I am too fraught with fear or sadness to do it by myself. When I pray for others, I assume they are asking for the same respect. I just find this so powerful. This concept of, of not having to necessarily know all the details, but holding a person close to God and helping to reconnect their hands and their heart with divine love in moments when they themselves cannot do it on their own. This is an amazing gift of prayer. You know, I think one of the most mysterious things about prayer is that it's not magic. It's not magic. Sometimes we pray for someone and we ask for God to take away an incurable disease and they are healed. And sometimes we pray for someone who has an incurable disease, and they die. Prayer is not about getting God or the universe or the laws of nature and science to bend toward the desires of our hearts. Rather, in my, my humble view, it is so much more about paying attention to the divine, opening our hearts to the vulnerable nature of this life and holding people close to God. And praying in color gives us a space and a discipline to hold people close to God, to wrap them in God's love, to provide a ray of hope and healing without having to have all the details and without worrying about the outcome. And so there is a handout in your bulletin, which I think some of you have already discovered, right? You have a half sheet of paper. And on one side, you have a mandala, which you may color, and that as you color, you might consider that a way to pray. And Apollo colored this one as a beautiful example, right? You could, you can, as you pray, you can consider the meaning of the symbols that are in this mandala. You can ask God to speak to you through it. But then you can also hang it up, right, as a way to continue to pray. That every time that you see it, you remember that prayer. You might even meditate on it long enough that you can conjure it up in your mind, that you can find it in your own subconsciousness. But I'm also going to spend some time today teaching you how to pray in color according to a method developed by Sybil Macbeth. And if this interests you, you may love it or you may hate it. I'm just warning you, but we're all going to try it today. So if this interests you, you can find more um, by Sybil Macbeth. She has a website, prayingincolor.com, and she also has several books as well. But here's the first thing about praying in color. I heard even some of you on the way in, when you picked up markers, thank you, saying that you're not great artists, so let me put your mind at ease. That's okay. It doesn't matter. All you need to, ha need to know how to do is some basic geometric shapes, which I'm sure you probably all got down. So here are some, some of the basics. You can make lines. Circles, triangles, ellipses, squares and rectangles, figure eights, dots, polygons, amoebas, they don't even have to look like anything, spirals, wavy lines, zigzags, arcs, scribbles. I'm thinking 100% of you can participate in this exercise. I'm pretty sure all of you can do these things. So, um, I'm going to invite you to, um, to look up here on the screen 
as I go through these steps. And then in a moment, I'm gonna give you just a few moments, not too long, but a few moments to practice this concept. So, um, from the concept of dots, right? You can start in multiple ways in your prayer. You might light a candle, you might take a deep breath, you might sit up straight and tall, whatever, you might lay down on the floor, whatever feels comfortable for you, whatever helps you find a center. But from there, then, um, you can start by drawing a shape. And inside the shape, you might put the name of a person that you are praying for, or you might also put a name for God. Just to begin, depends on how you want to begin. And it can be any name for God that's meaningful for you. But for the sake of this example, we're going to start with the shape and the name of the person that we want to pray for. And then you add shapes and doodles around that shape. Okay? And then you add colors to that. From there, you can add additional people to your prayer and, and go through those same steps. Add more shapes and doodles and add color. And then on the same day, or maybe even on a different day, you can, you can go make the circuit again, praying for each person again, and add another layer of shapes and colors and maybe even words if they come to your mind for each person. Is this making sense so far? So this could be a completed prayer, or it could be something that you go back and add to over the course of days or even weeks. Now the next series of slides, I'm going to show you a different kind of example that you can use praying in color for praying for maybe a specific area of the city or for um, praying for a specific issue, something that's on your heart. And so I want to give you this example. This is the neighborhood that I live in. I live in Southeast Wichita, okay? And so I could start out with this prayer for Southeast Wichita, and then I could add something about my neighbors, right, as I think about the community I live in. And then it, since we're going back to school, I might also add something about teachers in my neighborhood. And then I think about all of the shops and the stores I go to, and I could add something about store clerks. And then, um, thinking about restaurants or places I go to eat, I could add something about waiters, people I interact with in the public sphere. And then, thinking again about school, right, going back to school, and children in our midst, maybe I pray for the children as well. And then that makes me think about how many children are hungry, right? And so I begin to add to my prayer something about hunger. Um, in, in my particular neighborhood, sometimes there are thefts. There may be thefts in your neighborhood as well. And so thinking about hunger also makes me think about um, times when people uh, might steal, right? Out of desperation or other things. <laughs> and then uh, thinking again about children, thinking about literacy and reading. And then finally, the last one. I can't read on my little paper. Oh, education, yeah, thinking again about education, right? These are things on my own mind and heart as I think about and pray about my neighborhood. And then um, the next one is going to come on all at once, another layer of this prayer. As I go back and pray for each of those things again and add words or shapes or colors that, that um, encapsulate what I want to hold close to God for each of these situations. 
There are lots of other examples that you can find on Sybil Macbeth's website um, that show you how to pray marking the liturgical year or um, to pray scripture using Lectio Divina or even to pray for someone who you consider an enemy, someone that you might have a conflict with. But part of the gift of praying in color is that once you are finished, you can either that prayer to someone you have prayed for as a way to say, prayed for you today, right? Or you can keep that and hang that up, and every time you see it, or every time you think of it, that prayer comes to your mind again, and it's as if you pray it again. And so this morning, I'm going to give you probably two or three minutes. It might seem like a really long time. That's okay. We'll just sit in this, this space together. I'm going to give you about two or three minutes, and some of you, I think, may have started, which I love. But if you haven't started yet, you're invited to start. And you might either color the, the mandala that I gave you, or you might try this method developed by Sybil Macbeth of praying. And I'm going to give about two or three minutes of silence. And then out of that, I will invite us to pray together a prayer that will be up here on the screen. Um, and so uh, I would invite you to begin your prayer. I don't think you will finish it. And then take it with you throughout the week and find some space to finish it. And if you didn't get a marker, you can use a pen. You can just make black marks with your ink pen or gray marks with your pencil lead on your paper. So let us spend some time in prayer. you to simply press pause in that prayer that you have done and to turn your attention up on the screen that we might join together in this prayer. Holy Spirit, help us in our weakness. Often we do not know how to pray. We are grateful that you intercede for us with sighs, doodles, and shapes too deep for words. 